Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 102. I'm Margie Smith and today we are going to be covering the 21st lesson in the first module of Basic Bible 102, the New Testament. Uh, and this is on the life of Christ, today's lesson being on the crucifixion. Last week, we left off with the Last Supper and how Jesus had gathered his disciples together and they had celebrated the Passover together. And Jesus knew then that one of his disciples was going to uh, betray him. And so we see that during this time, as they're eating and, and they share uh, basically what we would call communion now. So Jesus is showing that uh, his body's going to be broken and his blood's going to be spilt for them. And shortly after this, they're getting ready to go up to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane to pray. But I want to show you some uh, what Jesus tells his disciples in the way of explaining what's going to happen. Let's start in uh, John chapter 14. Uh, actually, let's look back for a minute at uh, 13. As Jesus is describing to his um, disciples that he's going to be betrayed, uh, he turns to Judas and says, What you're going to do, do quickly. So Judas leaves and he goes and collects his 20 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. And then he's going to return with the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the rest of the disciples have gathered to pray with Jesus. Okay, now in the last part of chapter 13, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. All right, so obviously our impulsive Peter um, once again jumps in there and says, Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going with you. I'm going with you right now. But Jesus says to him, "You Basically, you think you can do this, but even before the night's over, you will have betrayed me three times. So then Jesus tells his disciples in, in chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to the Lord, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me? Is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. So even at this point, the disciples are not understanding why Jesus thinks he has to die. And they are not understanding where he's going 
And how how can they have seen the father? They're saying, just just show us the father. But remember, just two weeks ago, we, we talked about how the disciples, at least three of them, saw the, the transfiguration and were very much aware that uh, Jesus was was God. And so now there there's a question in their minds about, wait a minute, what's happening? You you say you're going to leave us. We don't know where you're going. And I think there's that that fear that bubbles up when you don't know what's happening. If you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 36, let's take a look at this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's he's pleading with his disciples to understand him, to stay with him. Going a little further, he went with and fell his, on the, his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. All right. Here Jesus is in one of the most crucial moments of his life, knowing what's coming, trying to have his disciples understand, and yet they don't, and beseeching them to please uh, pray with him. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. Of course, in all fairness, they did just have a nice big dinner and several glasses of wine. So, of course, they're sleepy. And yet, they have no comprehension of how critical this is. This moment right here is for Jesus. So, continuing on, it said, Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one more time and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is when Judas shows up. And in this last fight that Jesus is praying and uh, seeking if there's another way for uh, salvation to come to his people, to all people, other than Jesus being crucified, then that's what he wants. If there's any possible other way. And yet, three times he asks God for this, and the answer is, hmm, nope, you're going to be uh, crucified. And so when he comes back and he sees his disciples sleeping, he gives up and it's like, okay, here we go. And and they won't know until later, until after all this is over, they will look back and realize what a crucial moment that was, because this is where the real battle happened with Satan. This is where Jesus had to decide, am I going to follow the will of the Father so that salvation can come to all people, or am I going to take hold of my earthly power that he obviously had and uh, make my kingdom here on this earth right now? Jesus knew that wasn't going to work, that um, we are in a broken world with broken uh, temporary bodies, temporary um, 
Everything around us is, is just for the short time we live. And Jesus doesn't want that to be the end of us. And so he is going to prepare a place, as he mentioned, um, for with eternal value for forever. And of course, Jesus knows he's not leaving his disciples except for a very short time. And then the comforter will come. Look back in verse um, 15 of chapter 14 in John. It says, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So Jesus is promising that though he's going, he there will be uh, a comforter. In fact, he got, Jesus himself will come back in spirit form. And comfort and counsel and uh, be the spirit of truth for all believers. Later on in this book, in uh, John 16, uh, verse 31, uh, Jesus said, You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told these things you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's also preparing his disciples' hearts for what's coming and knowing that they will be heartbroken when he has been uh, crucified. The chapter 17 of John is such a great chapter, and I really encourage you to spend some time reading it and meditating on it. And it was the passage that Uh, was in your homework for today. It's when Jesus is praying. He prays for himself, and he asks God to um, help him and to let him lift up God and and that God would be glorified through him. And then he prays for his disciples and asks the, the Lord to protect them, to make them one, not to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one who would love to snatch them out of the Lord's hands. And so we see that this whole passage, he's praying not only for his himself and his disciples, but then at, towards the end he prays uh, in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So his prayer was even for those of us believers who wouldn't come for 2,000 years later, knowing that he would be in us and we we would be in the Father as well. So after this, sure enough, Judas shows up. And if you were um, following this scripturally, turn to Matthew 26, um, beginning with verse, verse 47. Uh, I'm sorry for the back and forth between Matthew and John. It's just that each of them include a different element of what's going on. And that's why it's important to study all four uh, Gospels pretty much at the same time because you'll get a much fuller picture of what's going on. 
Now, I realize in Basic Bible 101, we pretty much just stayed with one narrative because we didn't have a lot of time to cover it. But in this um, study, our goal has been to see more clearly the life of Christ and what that meant and and still does mean. So turn back to, like I said, um, Matthew 26, beginning with verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him, a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you come for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put up at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Okay, in in Luke's account of what's going on here, he points out that Jesus picked up the soldier's ear and put it back on him, that um, the the, the disciple who had lopped off the ear of one of the soldiers, um, Jesus is rebuked, and then he picks up that ear and magically, you know, miraculously uh, reattaches it. And so then Jesus goes with them, and they begin the process of the trial. Um, At first, no one can figure out what can they charge Jesus with, but they'll make up for that soon enough. Continuing on in uh, Matthew uh, 26, Verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need anything more, any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answer. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? So at this time, they're beating him up, and remember, he's just before the high priest. That's just one of the many hurdles they have to overcome to have Jesus crucified. At dawn that day, Jesus was taken before Pilate, the governor over Jerusalem. 
Pilate questioned Jesus. Finding nothing worthy of death in the accusation against Jesus, Pilate looked for a way to wash his hands of this mess. Then he discovered Jesus was from Galilee. He decided to send Jesus to Herod, the governor over Galilee, who happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, when they bring Jesus to Herod, King Herod, he just pretty much sidesteps the issue. He doesn't want to get involved with it. And so he sends Jesus back to Pilate. Let's see how Pilate tries to get out of this. Uh, Matthew 27, turn down to verse number 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at this feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. So Pilate saw this was a no-win situation for him. He just needed to make the chief priest and the elders and the uh, Sanhedrin, all all of the ones who were the spiritual leaders of uh, the Israelites, he just needed to give them some, whatever they wanted so there wouldn't be an uprising, there wouldn't be a, a lot of demonstrations. And so he just says, well, do you want me to release Barabbas or do you want me to release Jesus? And they all say to release Barabbas, who was a terrible thief. And then they say, just crucify Jesus. That's what they want. They want him to be crucified. So after this, Jesus is uh, sent to be whipped, and so they whip him, and they mistreat him badly. They put a crown of thorns on his head and mocking him as the king of uh, the Jews. They uh, put a robe around him saying, oh, here's your, you know, your royal um, garment, and all this they're doing in a way of mocking and, and just trying to have power over Jesus. What's really happening here is that Satan is having a field day. He is finally being able to treat Jesus the way he has wanted to. The Son of God, here he has his final chance to just totally mock what Jesus is trying to do. So after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe and they they put on his own clothes again, and then they led him away to be crucified. And as they give him his cross to bear, and he's going through the streets of town to get up to the hill called Golgotha, where it's known as the Hill of the Skull, where he will be crucified, it's He's been so badly beaten that it's hard for him to carry this cross. And so along the way, they find a man named Simon, and they force him to carry the cross. All four Gospels contain a very similar account of how the crucifixion took 
place. Um, what it was uh, like for Jesus hanging on the cross, the words that he said. Uh, if you do a Google search on um, the internet regarding the crucifixion or the act of crucifying someone, you'll see what a terribly painful way to die that is. It's basically, um, you have to keep lifting your body up to breathe in, and then eventually you just have no strength to do that. You know, you're you're, you suffocate, more or less. So if you've seen any of the Hollywood movies, The the Passion of the Christ, or any of the um, old-time movies that um, talk about Jesus, the, the greatest story ever told, or, or of such, you will see a, a picture of what it was like for Christ. And um, in this process, he is bearing the sins of the world. Pilate had the soldiers put on the sign above him, King of the Jews, uh, which is what was traditionally what they did with um, someone who was being crucified. They put up there that he was a murderer, that he was a thief, or whatever. And for Jesus, his sin was being the king of the Jews. After three hours of hanging on the cross, Jesus finally asked for a drink, and they hand him up a little bit of vinegar, which he doesn't really even drink. And But he turns to his mother and asks John, one of his disciples, to watch over her. So she is there, Mary is there, watching her son be killed. Um, and while he's dying, he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're basically the words that verify that God has laid the sins of the people on Jesus and has turned his back. He is now separated from God. And of course, this is the consequence of sin. Our sin that Jesus was sacrificed to um, make atonement for. So as Jesus died, he says, it is finished. So basically he's saying the price has been paid. All sinners can appeal to God for forgiveness simply by reminding God of what Jesus' blood uh, Jesus did, how his blood covers their sins. Uh, turn once more to John, but this time let's look at John 3.16. I'm sure you've probably heard this passage at least once in your life. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. And that is our promise today. If we just simply believe in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. All right, so for this lesson, you've seen that although no one could definitively come up with a crime Jesus had committed, the people still call out for him to be crucified. Remember, just a week earlier, he had been hailed as their king, and they were laying down the palm branches as Jesus entered the city. And at the end of the week, they're yelling, crucify him. And therefore, their guilt, their desire to see the Son of God killed and is just like it was with so many of the prophets. They refused to believe the prophets and instead ended up having to take the punishment. And in this case, the punishment is death for eternity, except that Jesus paid the price for that sin, and all they have to do is believe in him. Okay, that's our lesson for today. Um, we see that Jesus was obedient until death. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about what happened after they put his body in the tomb, and it's quite exciting. So I hope that you have enjoyed today's lesson and you've had a chance to do the homework. You are reviewing over what we've looked at already and preparing for the final. And we have just one more lesson before that. The reading assignment for this last lesson is basically the last few chapters of all four of the Gospels where they talk about 
what happened after Jesus died. So until next week, be blessed. Mm -hmm.